Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's go tonight to uh, James chapter 2, James chapter 2 tonight, and we are going to uh, get back into our series that we've been in, uh, studying the book of James, and this, uh, this series, of course, on Sunday nights, authentic, looking at what authentic or real Christianity is, and of course, uh, learning about a thriving and maturing Christianity. And we've learned a number of principles so far, uh, but tonight I'm not going to do a bunch of recap, uh, but we're just going to kind of jump right in it tonight. How many of you, uh, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself, but well, maybe you would. How many of you would consider yourself to be a fan of Disney through the years? You're a Disney fan. You like Disney movies and all of that. Some of you are kind of like, ah, I can take it or leave it. If you have grandkids, you're a Disney fan because your grandkids are Disney fans and they make you watch it. But we, over the years, we have been uh, somewhat Disney fans because of a close relationship that we have uh, with two of the artists on Disney. So my aunt and my uncle, his name is Dave, her name is Lynn, they live in Orlando, Florida. They have been artists for Disney. Uh, They both have retired, but my aunt was doing it for 30 years. My uncle did it for 25 years. And so growing up, I got to grow up and they'd send me all the collections of movies that they worked on and, you know, hand, this is before all digital animation and all of that, but all the uh, different pixels and things that they would draw and go through. And it was super cool getting to, uh, getting to know all of them. And of course, this is years ago. We were just there uh, back in December and I didn't put that picture up because it wasn't as good. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, this picture, it's right, in, right inside their studio and one of the studios that they were a part of there. But Dave and Lynn, one of the very first movies that my aunt got to work on, maybe you've heard of it. It's that Disney movie, The Prince and the Pauper. How many remember The Prince and the Pauper? You remember that? Of course, that movie, uh, this is one where, uh, um, if you know the story, it's actually taken from a Mark Twain book that was was published in 1882 here in the U.S., 81 in Canada. Uh, But it's set in 1547, and it tells the story of two young boys who were born on the same day and are identical in appearance. The story, the original, Tom Canty, a pauper who lives with his abusive alcoholic father in London, and then Edward VI, uh, son of Henry VIII, king of England. The story, if you know the story of Disney's Prince and the Pauper or the original, they meet each other and they switch places. And they switch places and go back and the prince becomes the pauper and the pauper becomes the prince and they live life for a while, and you can go watch the movie if you want to know the story. But they fool a lot of people in the story. A lot of people meet them, and they, you know, maybe tell something's off, but the whole movie, they, they pass on as, as the other one. Since Prince and the Pauper, and really over the decades, there have been a lot of movies with a similar storyline. Uh, Disney came out with The Parent Trap. Disney's Parent Trap with, uh, um, what was it? There you go, thank you. 
And uh, of course, they come out with these two twins that meet each other at camp and realize we're sisters split at birth and all of the stuff that took place. And of course, uh, you can't even know that the Disney's Aladdin has a storyline like this where Aladdin gets a wish and wishes to become a prince. And uh, of course, Jasmine had met Aladdin on the street and knew him as this poor, impoverished kid. And now he's a prince and there's just something not right. Or you could even go to TV series. A TV series where things are not as they appear. There's a series that came out in the early 2000s called Undercover Boss, where the boss would dress up as an employee and go and work amongst the, all the workers in his factory or in, his, in, in the office. You say, well, Pastor, what does all of this have to do with the message? The fact is, in life, things are not always as they appear to be. In life, things are not always as they appear. Oh, it might not be a prince and a pauper. It might not be, uh, of course, it's not going to be a genie getting, or a, a, um, a pauper getting a wish and becoming a prince. But things are not always as they appear. The fact is that often in our Christian life, we make decisions based upon that which is seen rather than fact. There are times in life when we see people and we make decisions about people before we even get to know them. And tonight, the principle that we're going to look at out of the book of James in chapter number two is this, that a thriving and maturing Christian lives without partiality. A thriving and maturing Christian lives without partiality. I want you to notice the passage before us tonight, James chapter two and verse number one. James chapter two, verse number one, let's read all the way down through verse number 13, here's what we discover. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect unto him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say unto... Uh, and say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which, hath promised, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery. He said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed mercy, that hath showed no mercy and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Things are not always as they appear. And as we come to 
James chapter 2 and these next few verses, we're just going to discover tonight that God desires, once a person gets saved, that they would look at people, that they would look at situations, and not live with that bias that we all are born with. Did you know bias and partiality is actually part of sin? We're going to see that even tonight as we get under this idea that things are not always as they appear. Let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll get right into our thoughts tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute, and would you ask God to speak to you tonight? You can pray something simple. Dear God, please speak into my life tonight. And then would you make a decision that if God speaks to you, you're gonna listen to him tonight. Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for uh, the day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the, the service that we had. Thank you for tonight and our music and just the opportunity to worship you and your holiness and your faithfulness to us. And Father, I pray that as we get into your word, God, I pray that you would arrest our attention and that you would help us to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us. I pray, God, that you would use the word of God to help shape our faith this week and how we live throughout each day. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you come to James chapter number two and verse number one, the, the whole theme of these 13 verses is actually found in verse number one where James writes this, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. This idea of respect of persons is showing favoritism. It's living with partiality based upon someone's appearance or based upon um, maybe something that, that we've heard about somebody else rather than the heart of somebody. James is basically saying, hey, other believers, don't hold the faith of our Lord. Don't hold the faith that you have by showing favoritism or living with partiality. We all know people who go through life living with bias and partiality, don't we? Uh, you, we all could probably name, uh, I know I can name people that I know who have gone through life with a, a deep bias and racism. Uh, you might know that. I know people that have gone through life. I think about even over in India, our friend Amos Moses. In India, they have, you know, they have their biases and partiality as a part of their government. And you have the poor class and the rich class. You have the good class and the bad class. And uh, it's, not, it's not done by race. It's done by uh, economics. It's done by money. Uh, of course, we know that there's a lot of political bias nowadays, isn't there? And if someone disagrees with you politically or you disagree with them, uh, they just cut you off anymore. It's, it's not we can agree to disagree. It's no, you better agree with me or else. Uh, we live in a world that lives by the rule of bias or partiality. Well, here's what Jesus is teaching through James to these believers. He's teaching, hey, a, a Christian, a thriving, a maturing Christian, someone who's living out real authentic Christianity, they're going to be living their days without partiality. They're not going to be living with that bias. But let's be honest, that's hard. Oh, someone here might say, well, pastor, I don't struggle with racism. I don't struggle with political bias. I don't struggle with economic bias. True. 
You may not struggle with that. That may not be the bias that you deal with, but I guarantee you every single person in here struggles with bias. Every single person struggles with some sort of, some sort of partiality. The partiality where the Lord says, hey, why don't you go talk to that person about me? And we say, ah, Lord, I don't think, I think that person's a little too far gone. God, I think that person, and we, we begin to tell God what that person's need is when he sees their heart and we don't. What is that? That's just a little bit of bias. It's a little bit of partiality. And tonight I want us to be challenged with this idea of going through life without partiality. But how do we do it? I think that, that question of how, do we, how can you and I live a life without partiality, it's answered in this passage. Four simple thoughts tonight to help us go through life without partiality. Number one. Number one is this. Don't make decisions based upon appearance. Don't make decisions based upon appearance. Look at verse number two. Two, it says this. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man with vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth that gay or rich clothing, and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place. And then you turn and you say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts. The Jewish people in that day, if you know anything about the Jewish culture from the time of, of Christ, even actually it's still going to this day, uh, the Jewish culture is very entrenched in this idea of rich versus poor. They're very entrenched in this idea of that, that, uh, that bias for rich people. Here's what the Jewish culture did, and the Pharisees are the ones who really, uh, really boosted this mentality and got it going uh, in a, uh, a growing way. The Pharisees, they would dress up, and they would dress up in rich clothing. They would dress up to appear to people to be very well off, and many of them, uh, because of bad deals and backdoor deals and all of that type of stuff, they were well off, but the Pharisee they tried to carry about themselves an appearance of wealth and religion. And that became so, uh, so much a part of that culture that many people during this time associated religion and God with wealth. We see this in some of our uh, um, uh, religions today. The, the more you have, the more blessed you are by God. That's in, in a lot of Christianity even. That um, um, What's it called? Brian, help me out. Prosperity. Thank you. Prosperity gospel. I, my brain just totally went blank on that. Uh, man, that prosperity gospel, right? The more you have, the more, you, more blessed you are. And so if you're really rich, I want to be close to you. Why? Not, not only can you buy me things, hopefully, but... You, you're gonna help me become rich and maybe you're gonna show me the trick to be blessed by God. Well, that, that prosperity gospel really was started by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, that the, the greater I am, the richer I am, the, the more blessed I am by God. And we saw people, they, they would be called maybe the, the pyramid climbers trying to uh, just gain access and become higher and higher, not only in politics and industry and in uh, society, but we've seen that happen within the church. Some churches, they often have teenage cliques within a church. 
and it's not even the teenagers. You've all been there. I have too. I've been, I've been a guest at a church, whether it's a guest attender or even a guest speaker, and pretty soon I can tell you there's a click, there's a click, there's a click. You're probably not getting in that. Isn't it sad that there's a lot of churches that are more like a high school than like a worship center? Well, why do people do that? It's because we live with partiality. We often make decisions based upon people's appearance rather than just getting to know somebody. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'll just do it for you. I struggle with this still. I've made assumptions about people because of appearance that later I had to go back and say I was wrong. What's, what's James writing to them? He's simply saying, hey, as you go through your Christian life, don't judge a book by the cover. Hey, you're, you're not going to really get to know somebody by having this mindset of a rich man walking in and you saying, hey, rich man, you can come have the prominent seat. Oh, person who's dressed in poor clothing, sit, sit over there. Go by the door. Or no, you know what? Better yet, just sit right here on the ground. You don't get a chair. Just, just stay right here on the ground. What is that? It's that partiality. I think about <clears throat> James, though. You know what James probably had in his mind was the great example of his own brother, his half-brother Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, he did not live with respect of persons, and even his enemies admitted it? Matthew chapter 22, verse 16, the last part, his, the enemies of Christ speaking to Jesus, and they said, for thou regardest not the persons of men. Well, what's that? You don't live with partiality. Jesus, you don't live with bias. Think about Christ. He did not look at the outward appearance. He always looked on the heart. Of course, we know that from the Old Testament, but Jesus exemplified that in body form when he was not impressed with riches or social status. You think about the poor widow who gave those two mites. She was greater in the eyes of Christ than those rich Pharisees who were throwing in of the abundance of their wealth. Uh, you think right now about the, uh, uh, the people even that Jesus called. Who did Jesus call to himself? I mean, think about the apostles that he called to himself. Matthew, Levi, a tax collector. Now, I don't know if you know anything about, the, uh, about uh, a tax collector in the Hebrew culture. They were not liked. If I'm choosing, if I'm choosing my followers, I'm probably not choosing a, a tax collector to go tell people I'm the Messiah. Well, why? Because he's not going to be received. People aren't going to like him, but you know what Christ did? Christ chose him. How about Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen with no high education? What about Simon, the zealot? I mean, he was known as uh, raising an uprising against, against Rome and trying to get a coup against Rome, and yet here he is being called to the side of Jesus. You think the disciples even because of their lives would have understood that Jesus lived without bias. But then John chapter four, the disciples come and discover Jesus talking with a certain woman by the well of Sychar. And the Samaritan woman is there. And what are the disciples? Man, Jesus, what are you doing talking to her? He lived without bias. You know, what, we're do, what we are prone to do is we are prone to judge people based upon what we can see rather than what's there. 
We're prone to judge people on the past that we know about them rather than the future that God might have in store with them. We see people for often what we can get from them. We judge people based upon their wealth rather than their God-given worth. You think about Saul of Tarsus when he came to Christ The church at Jerusalem, they didn't want to receive Saul. They didn't want to receive him. Why? Because of the appearance of what he was. But you know what Barnabas saw? Barnabas saw what God could have been doing. I love love Barnabas, this great encourager that took Saul of Tarsus and discipled him. And then showed Saul, helped Saul understand, hey man, God's got a great plan in store for you. What a great picture even Barnabas was of not judging a book by its cover. Jesus Christ set out for us a great example, being a friend of a sinner and yet disapproving of the sin. Christ never compromised. He was instead very compassionate, and that compassion is what caused people to be drawn to him. Why? They were able to trust him and forgive him because he just showed them love, but he didn't make the decisions to draw them in based upon that bias or partiality. But all too often, we respond in this life like the Pharisees rather than the Christ follower. And the fact is that Christ followers should follow his example in how he viewed others. Christ followers should not follow the example of Pharisees. Well, what they do? They made decisions based upon appearance. And if you and I make decisions based upon appearance, we're going to see this again in a moment, but what we're doing is we are making ourselves the judge of someone else's heart. If we're truthful tonight, all of us, you don't want someone to judge your motives. Don't you hate that? Didn't you hate that when you were a kid or maybe when you got your first job or maybe uh, with, with uh, some sort of schooling or college or friendship and somebody says, I know why you did that and they judge your motive. I remember, of course, with my two sisters, I remember times when my sisters would say, I know why you did that. You did that because you wanted. And in my mind, I was like, that never crossed my mind. Husbands and wives have that. I know why you did that. You're trying to guilt me, aren't you? Man, you don't want someone to judge your motive, and so why, why would you judge somebody else's motive based upon what you can see, not what is true to be there? So how do we get through this Christian life without partiality? How do we go through it and live this way as Christ did? Number one, don't make decisions based upon appearance. Number two, number two is seek the mind of God. Pursue the mind of God about people. Notice verse number five. James writes this, hearken. That word hearken. Tune in. Listen up. Pay attention. Hey, I really want you to get this. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the rich or the, the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? What we're reading here is this thought that, hey, you're going through life with respect of persons, but God does the opposite. God does not work on appearance. 
Culture claimed that those, again, who were closest to God were wealthy and they based their decision upon the wealth they could see. But James is stating the case that some of those who were the richest in faith were poorest in appearance. But sometimes we make decisions to judge people based upon appearance and we miss the heart that's really there. Instead, what do we do? We seek the mind of God. What is God's mind? God ignores differences. God ignores differences. You know, God ignores, he ignores national differences. In the sight of God, there is no difference between Jew or Gentile when it comes, comes to uh, salvation. There is no sign, Galatians chapter three and verse uh, 26 through verse number 38, talking about all of the equality that, that is in God. What is God's mind? God's mind is I love every single person the same. Aren't you thankful for that? Because I don't know, I don't know about your life, but I know my life, Uh, If God loved and showed bias, I probably wouldn't be on the top end of that bias. God looks past national differences. And of course, Acts uh, Acts chapter number 10 with Peter gives us that when when God through the, the meats and the dream and that, that vision that Peter saw and all of that that took place helps Peter understand, hey, Peter, man, everybody is equal and deserving of a shot at salvation. Everybody is equal and deserving a chance to hear about the message of me. Well, why was God doing that? Because God's, God ignores national differences. God ignores the, the social differences, The status differences with masters and slaves and the rich and the poor, you know what? They're all alike to him. He ignores the economical differences and political differences. God ignores relational differences. God ignores all the differences. He just leaves them all at the door. And he says, I love everyone the same. It doesn't say in scripture, for God so loved some better and some worse. It says, for God so loved the world. That's all of culture. That's all of creation, mankind creation that was created by God. And James teaches us here that the grace of God makes the rich man poor because he cannot depend on his wealth. And it makes the the poor man rich. Why? Because he inherits the riches of grace in Christ. And James, he kind of gives a rebuke here saying, hey, when you despise or when you hate a poor man, you are behaving just like the unsaved rich man. Have not you been called before? You see that in verse number seven. Have not you been called before the rich? And aren't they the one that are blaspheming you? Aren't they the ones that are blaspheming the worthy name by which you are called. Here's the thought. Why are you following the thought of culture and not the thought of Christ? Why are you living with partiality like everybody around you rather than the Christ that is within you? The idea is that we should seek to see people as God sees them. One of the greatest ways to avoid living with partiality is to ask God to help you to see people as he sees them, not as culture or as bias tells you to see them. You are called by the name of God, so represent him in your opinion of people. You think about coworkers or think about friends, think about people that you know, that you're around and and inside, internally, you want to make a decision about them You know that, man, they rubbed me the wrong way. Man, that guy, we just don't get along because I just, like, he comes into work and he's always looking, he's always just looking scruffy. And man, that guy, man, that lady, she's always, she never matches. I, you know, and we make decisions based upon silly things like that. Instead of just saying, God, help me to see them as you see them. I think today even, 
We all know about the, the homeless situation and all across our country and here in Moses Lake. And I don't know about you, but there's times, I'll be honest, there's times in my life when I'm just like, oh, it just drives me nuts. And there's that one that I see all the time. I, I, I just know they're on drugs. And, and when's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time? I'm not saying that you have to go buy every one of them a cup of coffee or a, a, a give them money. Man, honestly, don't give cash. Like, never do that. Just give, give a, a bottle of water and some food or a gift certificate to a restaurant, things like that, if you're gonna give things. But when's the last time that you actually did give somebody something? And it wasn't because you're just trying to like, well, people are watching, I better do this. But it was like, you know what? I, I don't know what they have. And then with that, you slip them a gospel track. We need to have this mindset if we're going to go through life living without partiality. Not to, we, we just need to have the mindset that says, I'm not gonna make decisions based upon appearance and I'm going to seek the mind of God about people. God, help me to see that coworker as you see him. God, help me to see that annoying neighbor as you see him. God, help me to see that person who's always at that same corner, always asking for money. Help me to see them as you see them. Why? Because that's what a Christ follower does. Just like Jesus, living without respect of persons, we live the same. How do we go through this life without partiality? Number three, love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> go with me to verse number eight. Verse number eight, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But... If you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. You know what God says, verse number eight sums it up well. Love everyone as you love you. And you're probably not biased. Or wait, no, you probably are biased when it comes to you. You know when that started? It started when you were a little kid. Me first. The kids had, of course, many of you maybe have heard of Patch the Pirate. Our kids loved Patch the Pirate growing up, and they had that Me First song, the, 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 I think a little fish that would sing in one of the episodes or something like that. And man, going around Me First and King Me First and all the Me First. And we, we, we played, when our kids would ever go through a selfish stage, Hannah was like, bust out the Me First CD, you know, and she'd pop that in. We'd be on a trip, and it was like, we're going to listen to the Me First CD a bunch because you guys are acting selfish. You know why we all, we all do that? No wonder there's a great challenge then in just loving other people as you love yourself. What is that? Hey, put people first. Put other people first. Loving everyone as you love yourself, but if you have partiality and bias, we read there that if you live that way, you are sinning against God. I think that... <clears throat> Really, one of the things that James is getting at in these few verses is if you claim it, you claim to be a Christian, 
I mean, hey, he's right. Remember who James is writing to. We didn't give any of the context tonight, but you probably remember it, that these are believers, many of them Hebrews, that have been dispersed because of what we read in Acts chapter 8 and 9 and the, uh, the persecution of people like Saul of Tarsus before his conversion. And here they are in a new place, and here's James writing to them about wisdom and writing to them about the word of God and writing to them about grace from God. And now he's writing to them, hey, listen, as you go through life, remember your testimony. Actually live out what you say you believe. James is saying the similar thought right here. D.L. Moody, famous preacher of years gone by, said this, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. What is that? Hey, don't just know the word, live it. James reaches back into the Old Testament here and he says from Leviticus 19, love thy neighbor as thyself. Or you could go to the New Testament and you could see Jesus teaching this principle, the parable of the Good Samaritan, telling us and showing to those that everybody is your neighbor. And so whose, meet, whose needs should you strive to meet? Your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Everybody. Who's someone that you should show love to? Well, your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor, Lord? Everybody. It's not a matter of geography, but a matter of opportunity. The question is not who's my neighbor, but who, to whom can I be a neighbor? And so James says to us and to these, he says, if you're going to go through life, then you've got to understand that if you fulfill this royal law, this king-given law, this law by our king, if you go through life loving others as you love yourself, you're doing well. <laughs> you do well. You're doing good. But the contrast is also true. We read in verse number nine, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. And then James lists out some sins. Verse nine says, you're convicted of the law as a transgressor. For whosoever shall keep the law and yet offend in one of these, he is guilty of all. And then he goes into adultery and killing. What is, what is James getting at in some of this? I believe one of the themes that James is getting at is the thought that just one little sin, just one to us little sin of living with bias, James says, hey, if you're guilty of that, there's, there's no, there's no uh, separation of the delineation we talked about this morning of levels of sin. One author actually wrote, James is saying, hey, if you can be guilty of, of living with partiality, partiality can lead you to any sin. And I think that, that can be there in the context. Because why does the murderer kill somebody? Probably because they didn't like him. There's a lot of murders like that. There's a lot of jealous murders. There's a lot of envious murders. What is it's at the root of that is bias. You think about why people murder somebody they don't know. Oftentimes it's because that person has something they want. What is that? Bias. They're better off than I am. But really the whole thought that he builds upon is verse number eight. Fulfilling the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. Christian love, listen, Christian love does not mean that I have to like everything about people. 
It doesn't mean that I have to agree with everything about people. Because it does say love others as you love yourself. And let's be honest, do you love everything about you? Do you like everything about you? Man, there's, there's some things about Dennis Fountain that I don't care for. But I still, usually I'm gonna love Dennis. Here's what the principle is. Just, just because you're loving someone doesn't mean you have to like everything about them. Jesus loved sinners, but he hated the sin. Christian love, it means treating others the way that God has treated me. It's an act of will. It's not an emotional decision. It's a, something that I try to manufacture. It's an act of a willful choice that says I'm going to love people the way Christ loves me. Paul had a really good definition of this as he wrote to believers at Ephesus about marriage. Ephesians chapter five, verse number 28 and 29, Paul writes this, so, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Loving others as you love you is taking care of others, putting others first as you often try to do for you. And loving people as myself is a great way to help us live without partiality. A thriving and maturing Christian is gonna do what? Gonna live without partiality. How do I do that? Well, don't make decisions based upon appearance. Seek the mind of God about people. Love God as, or excuse me, love thy neighbor as thyself. And then the last thought tonight is this. Remember God, he's the only judge. God's the only judge. Look at verse number 12 and 13. James says, so speak ye and so do. As they that shall be judged by the law of liberty, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You know what you and I need to know is we need to know that God is the only judge that can truly see the motive. These thoughts I've summarized, verse 12 and 13, into four words. You worry about you. Four words. We say them to our, you probably said them to your kids. Hey, you worry about you. But dad, no, I don't want to hear it. You worry about you. This is what James is writing to them. He's saying, hey, verse number 12, you need to know that there is going to be judgment. And if you judge, verse 13, if you judge without mercy, you mean you don't, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't give uh, uh, mercy in, in anybody's life. I mean, it's just what you say and you can see the motive and you know what's going on in their life. Just know that that will be some of the judgment that you'll get. There's a parable given in the Gospels, very descriptive in the book of Matthew. And it's the parable of the servant who owed the king like an exorbitant amount of money, right? He owed the king a lot. And he goes before the king and says, I can't pay you. I just can't pay. And what's the king do? He forgives the debt. 
says, all right, forgive him. And then that guy turns around to one of the lower servants who owes him like 10 bucks. I mean, it's nothing. And he says, hey, pay up. And that lower servant says, I, man, I can't. And the Bible says that that first servant takes that lower servant and throws him into a, basically into jail. He says, you're gonna pay up and you're gonna stay here until you pay. And word gets back to the king. And the king pulls that one servant in and says, hey, didn't I show you mercy? Well, yeah. Well, why didn't you show mercy? Well, I, uh, uh. And the king says, the same way that you treated him, I'm gonna treat you. And you're gonna go to prison until you can pay me back everything that you owe me. That's the description of verse number 13 in this passage. You, you cast judgment without mercy, there's going to be judgment without mercy. Does this mean, pastor, that there's like a loss of salvation and all of that? No, 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 no. No, it just means uh, you reap what you sow. My parents growing up, they would always tell me things like, you know, Dennis, the Bible teaches this thought that if you'll be friendly, you'll probably have friends. That principle is you reap what you sow. We've all met those people that go through life and they're, forgive me for saying the word if your kids don't say it, but they're jerks to everybody. And then they wonder when they hit like 30 and 40 and 50, why don't I have any friends? Well, it's because you're a big meanie all the time. I know people and you know people like that that hit a certain stage and they're just like, why doesn't anybody love me? Well, it's because you never love anybody else. That's the principle of James chapter two and verse number 13. And as a Christian, verse number 12, as a Christian, here's what James says. So speak ye and so do as they that should be judged by the law of liberty. Hey, he's the only judge. So go through life remembering that. You worry about you. And so the thought is he's the only real judge, so I, so I should love people and let him judge and correct them. Just go through life living without partiality and saying, God, help me to see people as you see them. It's really just saying, God, I just wanna follow your example. And the fact is that we truly are Christ-like or we are truly Christ-like when we live without partiality. I'll be honest, on a Sunday night like this, I would say that most people in here don't struggle with the biases and partialities that are in our culture. I know people in here that would probably say, you know, I'm, as I stated at the beginning, I'm, I'm not racist. Honestly, for me, growing up in Greeley, Colorado, racism, it was, it was in, the, in the past with our family and all that, and my we never had that. I remember first hearing about racism and my dad teaching me about everything that, that our country went through in the 60s and even before that and all of those things. And I was just blown away. I was like, man, this is crazy. I mean, my closest friends were Hispanic and black. And then we moved to, to Tacoma, Washington, the melting pot of the world. And our church at one time, our church in Lakewood had 17 different nationalities. 17. I I ate more weird food from different cultures that I would never would have thought I would have eaten. And you know what? I love it. 
and I still eat it. Man, racism, well, it wasn't a thing at all. Maybe you're like that. Maybe it was a thing and you've had to grow through that. Political bias. And I'm, I've just learned to come to the place that not everybody's gonna agree with my opinion and that's okay. They have a right to be wrong. <laughs> now, political bias, you know what? I have, I have people and, and you do too. I mean, I've, I've sat in the same room. I've shaken the hand of, of, uh, uh, of our two senators of our state of Washington that are both very differently, they believe very much differently than I do. At a funeral uh, back in September, my wife sat next to our governor and I, I was a seat away. I'll tell you, I wanted, to, I wanted to lean over and tell him a few things. <laughs> I wanted to change the message that I had, you know, to be a political message. But the truth is, it doesn't matter. In the light of eternity, politics don't matter. Now, so you know what I needed to do that day is just get up and give the gospel. So you might not live with political bias. You probably don't live with social status or economical bias. But you know what you probably do live with? You probably do live like I do with sometimes trying to judge people's motives before you really get to know them. You probably, like I do, try to judge what somebody meant by what they said instead of just asking. You probably like I do, sometimes struggle with making a decision about somebody based upon how they look rather than even just getting to know them. Well, you know what the Lord is saying through James to us? Things are not always as they appear. Things aren't always as they appear. So as a follower of God, as a child of God, a thriving and maturing Christian is going to live without partiality. How do I do it? Well, don't make decisions based upon appearance. Seek the mind of God. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And remember, he's the judge, and it's his judgment that matters. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.